Hi folks, I'm Anne-Marie, the Soulful Therapist. There are natural, gentle ways to heal, discover yourself and find meaning in the world. Let me introduce you to them. I'm a psychotherapist, past life therapist, clinical hypnotherapist, master knitter, Reiki master, teacher, author and seer. I specialise in trauma, helping young people and spiritual development. If you'd like to support the show, come on over to Patreon, look for The Soulful Therapist, and that's what keeps the show going. Shall we begin? As I looked out over the sea of faces, I noticed one of them was starting to look a little bit grey. As was usual, when I got a new group of youth work students, I'd always teach them child safe environment training first. It was an opportunity for people to learn about how things can go wrong, how things can go badly wrong for children, for families, for women, and what they could do about it. But during the course of that very long day, the students also heard about all the terrible things that human beings are capable of, and one of them wasn't coping was always a large class because I made sure I taught it first. Many people found along the way that perhaps youth work wasn't for them, and so they would move on to other things. But I knew that if they were taught these things, if they were taught the indicators of abuse, they would always spot a child in trouble, and they'd always know what to do. I called for a break. Most people were relieved at this point to go, right, I need to stretch my legs, I need to get some fresh air into my brain, and I need to just relax. This is very heavy content. And that face that had gone grey came towards me. And he said, can I have a moment? Sure, come on out. And we stood on the balcony with the wind blowing, and he said, I'm... I'm really struggling. And I said, I could tell that. I said, what's going on? And he said, I thought my family was normal, but when I've looked at all these indicators, I can tick way too many boxes. I'm not sure if I can be a youth worker. It wasn't uncommon for people to come to me partway through that first week of training and say to me, I'm not sure, do you think I'm ready? And quite a few of these people would have backgrounds where they'd experienced family violence, where they'd experienced trauma. And this is the thing that drew them forward to want to help other people. But of course, in studying, they discovered how healed or how broken they were. And the honest ones and the responsible ones would always come to talk to me about it. And that was pretty wonderful. I love these people who were honest and brave and had the integrity to ask themselves, how ready am I? With this particular young man, it was a huge shock. And he spent the next week to two weeks thinking very, very deeply about the circumstances he was raised in the things he had experienced, and he had a younger sibling who was still in that family environment. We had talks about what support his family needed, 
we had talks about what love and support he could provide that younger sibling. And we also talked about how would he know when things were going badly wrong and immediate action would be needed to be taken. Family violence, it's an intense topic. It's a very current and relevant topic. It's one of those things we do need to think about at the moment. The newspapers are full of this at the moment. We're averaging in Australia one woman a week dying from domestic violence. So what do we do about it? And there are a lot of people who are working at the coalface, literally picking up the victims and trying to support them, heal them, transform their experience, make them stronger for the future. And when this is done, particularly for mothers, then the children are also scooped up as well. And this is a wonderful thing. It pays us all to be aware of what the key indicators of domestic violence are so we can offer support where needed. But at times, we need to challenge ourselves. We need to think about how we are in relationships as well. Esoteric philosophy has a principle called right relationship. And some astrological signs are more prone to be needing to be thinking about this particular law and actually working on it. Right relationship. How can we be in right relationship with each other? And it's not as easy as what you'd actually think. Those of you who've studied psychology will remember Jahari's window. Jahari's window has been around for a long, long time. And when you mention it, most people go, oh, yes, okay, I do know that. I don't need to be reminded about it anymore. But you know what? I actually think perhaps we do. You can Google it if you want and you can look at the diagram. But Jahari's window is basically four boxes, two by two, two on top of the bottom two. And there are two continuums. One is what is known to yourself, and the other one is what is known to others. So each one of these boxes is characterized by what is known to yourself or unknown, and what is known to others or unknown. The tricky thing, and this is what this young man experienced, was the blind spot. The tricky thing is when things are unknown to you, they may be known to other people. So with the indicators of child abuse, these were completely unknown to him. He'd characterise what he grew up with as normal family life. But all those indicators were known to me. And of course, they're enshrined in legislation. Lots of trainers are teaching these things. Teachers in schools are looking for these things. Therapists are looking for these things. So they're known to a lot of people, but it was a real shock for him. And this is where he needed to work to get his head around this and truly understand his own experience, not only for himself in becoming a youth worker, but eventually, I'd like to think, because he's a pretty good guy, that he actually becomes a parent. And if we're not to actually unconsciously replicate some very undesirable behaviours, then we need to make those blind spots obvious we need to take on board the information that belongs in there. So one of those quadrants with Jahari's window is that blind spot unknown to self, but known to others. Of course, there's another box, which is 
something that's known to you and known to other people. And that's like a public domain where you share quite openly these aspects of yourself with other people and other people know these parts of you fairly well. There's also parts that you know about yourself which are unknown to other people and that's your private space. And of course there's some things that we hold very dear and other people aren't entitled to to know about. Sometimes we will share those things. What's very interesting to me is that when I've worked with people with trauma, oftentimes, particularly men, those deep, very, very personal experiences, some of them traumatic, they may not have shared with anybody else and they may wait until they're either in a very stable partnership or married for a year before they share them. So that's that very private zone as well. And of course, the last quadrant in Jahari's window is the things that are unknown to yourself and things that are unknown to others. So this is an completely invisible space. It is the unknown. It may be unconscious. It may be experiences that you haven't integrated or it might be experiences that are completely denied. Maybe denied by yourself or it may be denied by the greater community, or maybe something that humanity as a whole hasn't got its head around yet. So Jahari's window can be a really interesting way of looking at what do you accept and know, and what don't you know. What was important here with this young man of taking things from the blind spot and making things conscious was being prepared to have the conversation and also to accept feedback. I was feeling reserved. It was a deep reserve. A partner of one of my clients had called and because of privileged information given to me by my client, I had a fair amount of background information on this person who was now reaching out for help. And the reason why I felt this deep, deep reserve was because some of the behaviour that had been related to me was deeply unattractive. Some of the behaviour that had been described to me I could tick off on the checklist of domestic violence. I've had these phone calls before and generally they go a certain way. Generally what happens is that the person that we would identify as the perpetrator of abuse, has become concerned or worried that this person that we would identify as the victim is no longer as powerless as they were, seems to be gathering strength and momentum and a sense of purpose and is almost ready to relinquish the relationship. And at that point, especially if it is domestic violence, and in this case, I wasn't 100% sure. But if it is, there's usually a set of behaviours. Usually there's some buyback behaviour where there are dinners and candlelight and going to the movies and, you know, new pair of shoes maybe. And then if that doesn't work, sometimes there are threats and intimidation. And generally along the way, there's a sense of ownership, a sense of, gee, I haven't done the right thing. 
but I'm a victim too and I'm suffering and I'm struggling and perhaps I do need to change my behaviour. And at that point, sometimes what will happen is that people that we would identify as perpetrators of abuse will actually reach out and say, hey, I need some help. The really good thing about that is sometimes they really mean it and there you get your opportunity. But in this case, I wasn't quite sure. So I listened and I listened hard and I was listening for those messages of responsibility. And what I got was somebody who took complete ownership and he was very honest and he said, I have done these things. I have put my fist through walls. I have screamed at my partner. I have frightened my child. And I don't want to be like this. And I'm ready for change. And he very deliberately and honestly described everything that he'd done. And at that point, given the level of responsibility he was showing, I could then decide whether to provide services for this person or not. Domestic and family violence is a very difficult topic. It's hurting a lot of people. And at a recent Flinders University lecture that I went to, they were talking about all the research they've been doing. They've been very, very busy for many years. They have been interacting and supporting non-government organisations. And the key thing that they came up with as the cause of domestic violence was inequity in power, which is not new to any of us, I'm pretty sure. But the other aspect was dangerous patriarchal ideas. What are these? What are these dangerous patriarchal ideas? And what was so fascinating about the research is that they said that these ideas of status and power and who gets to speak and who gets to serve are entrenched within our culture and raised so that we end up with this young youth work student who said, I thought what I was raised with was normal. There's a certain blind spot that we've been talking about with Jahari's window. These dangerous patriarchal ideas where a woman giving feedback or a partner giving feedback becomes a threat to self. And that instead of that feedback becoming a wonderful opportunity to open up that blind spot, to become conscious, to become aware, to grow and thrive, that that feedback then generates a reaction, an unhealthy reaction. And the purpose at that point is then to silence the person who's giving the feedback. Dangerous patriarchal ideas. This research is very new and in its infancy. I can't wait to see what Flinders University are going to come up with next. But they did have a very, very small sample of men who, just like the man I talked to on the phone, were prepared and willing for their relationship, for their partner, for their children to actually go into therapy. They were saying the early results are that some of the programs we have for men are not as effective as they actually could be. That is, it's quite possible to go along to some of the courses, the anger management courses and some of the rest, and 
glibly go through it and still at the end hold these dangerous patriarchal ideas, the ideas that light the fuse towards violence. One of the most hopeful things was that if people are willing to engage in in therapy, if they're willing to be honest, if they're willing to push the boundaries on that blind spot, then we can see an improvement of relationships with everybody and increasing safety for partners and for children. But it's a long, slow road and it takes a lot of responsibility. The media really does love to attack, especially men, But where are we getting when we vilify people? If we blame people, we still have the problem to solve. Blame is not solving anything. And I think this is our next step forward is to work out how can we support people to take responsibility and what are the elements that are actually going to help not only individual people but also culture change as well. And our very first step is knowledge. Knowledge is power. We know, certainly from the child sexual abuse work, is that if we know what we're looking at, we can decrease levels of violence. If we know what we're looking at, we can remove people from danger and we can offer assistance. One of the beautiful models that I've been using in the classroom for many, many years, and you can go onto the internet, you can download uh, this material for yourself, stick it on the fridge, stick it on the toilet wall, wherever you want to put it. The Duluth model, and they have a number of wheels that they've worked with. And for me, when I've worked with clients, these are some of the most descriptive and helpful information sheets that I could give people. So let's have a little bit of a look. Let's have a look at what are the key indicators of physical, sexual violence mental, emotional violence. Let's have a bit of a look at that. So it's going to be a bit of a gruelling 10 minutes here. You might want a cup of tea. So let's have a bit of a look at some of these elements. The first aspect we're looking at is using intimidation. You don't actually have to hit someone to make them scared. You can use looks, actions, gestures. You can smash things. You can destroy property. You can also abuse pets um, and also just simply displaying weapons. These are some of the ways um, to intimidate someone. Now, when I'm talking, a lot of the statistics will talk about heterosexual relationships. Unfortunately, we know that um, domestic and family violence does occur in same-sex relationships as well, unfortunately. Using emotional abuse is another aspect of family violence. Things like putting people down, making them feel bad about themselves, calling them names, um, making them think they're crazy. That one is really, really subtle. And sometimes you'll have somebody who may use one of these or may use several of them together. What we're looking for to identify um, domestic and family violence is a cluster. If your partner calls you a name sort of once um, because they've lost their temper and they're overwhelmed and they're getting the flu, that's one thing. If it's a repeated pattern, and especially when it comes in a cluster of other things as well, that's when we start to get a little worried and a little concerned about what's going on. Using emotional abuse, so playing mind games, humiliating people and making them feel guilty. That one is very much skewed towards using them against you know, a partner who's female, but 
It can be in any relationship. The third one is using isolation. So this is very much about controlling what someone does, who they see and talk to, what they read, where they go. It's limiting outside involvement or stalking. And it's using jealousy to justify actions. I'm finding through some of the relationship courses through the high schools, the younger people are pretty good with this stuff um, and pretty good with benchmarking with each other. Um, unfortunately, sometimes an abusive partner uh, looks like the white knight to begin with. So it's someone who is very invested in the relationship. They may be the perfect partner um, for the first little while. And, you know, it's like, oh, I just want to spend time with you. I'm loving spending time with you. Um, but just see, is there aspects where it's a control thing and you don't have the opportunity to do anything else? Minimising, denying and blaming. Once again, these are the things that can really be largely hidden and some um, groups of people and some cultures may be more inclined towards this one than others. I find that certain religions, for example, are just so beautiful that they'll go, oh, they couldn't possibly mean that. They, you know, we will give them the benefit of the doubt. Unfortunately, if we're talking about abusive relationships, uh, the benefit of the doubt usually digs you in a bit deeper. So what sort of things are we talking about when we're talking about minimising, denying and blaming? Well, it's making light of the abuse. It's not taking the partner's concerns seriously. So if someone has a particular issue uh, and they're saying, hey, I really don't like, you know, whatever it is. I don't like it that, you know, the pets aren't being looked after properly. Um, it's just ignoring it. It's not paying attention to it. That can be an aspect of this. Um, saying outright, it just didn't happen. I'm sorry, it just didn't happen. I don't know what was wrong with your brain that you think it did. You're making it up. It's shifting the responsibility for abusive behaviour. And the interesting thing to me is that, especially if we're talking about these dangerous patriarchal ideas, you will actually hear people say things that are indicative of this. So they say, oh, well, if she didn't make me so mad, what was she doing? Breathing, chewing, chewing gum or had an opinion. Oftentimes you'll go, well, she should be able to have an opinion or, you know, he, again, sometimes it's a male partner being abused. He should be able to, you know, have a weekend playing chess with his mates or going off and doing paintball or gaming. So it's very much that idea of shifting the responsibility for the abusive behaviour actually onto the victim and saying that the victim actually caused it. If they didn't do X, I would be happy I wouldn't respond in that particular way. And of course, there we've got an issue right there. And the issue is not how antagonistic can you be? Um, you should be able to scream and yell, throw yourself on the floor and drum your heels. Uh, if you really want to in your own house, it'd be a bit noisy, but you should be able to if you wanted to. Um, it's really about that other person having enough self-worth and emotional discipline that they go, well, that's interesting. You're yelling and screaming, throwing yourself on the floor and drumming your heels. I'm not sure what it's about, but I'll wait till you've finished and then we'll have a conversation. Okay. Unfortunately, um, with domestic and family violence, I've included the family violence in there. Sometimes people forget that. The children are involved. Oftentimes, you know, the victim can be made to feel guilty about the children in some respect. Uh, sometimes it's about using the children to relay messages. And of course, if there is a separation, then it's using not only the arrangements to um, create drama, 
but also it can be using systems um, against the partner to intimidate and threaten. And, of course, the biggest fear that people have um, is having their children uh, taken away, and that one can be almost like that invisible thing that's unspoken but it's there. Um, so sometimes it's, it's difficult to um, track all of this stuff, especially as if you're a friend or an outsider or that sort of stuff because a lot of this stuff may actually be unspoken. In South Australia particularly, there are um, family meetings uh, where courts are involved, the police are involved, and the police have a very good assessment tool for, for looking at these sorts of things. Using male privilege. And again, this goes along with those dangerous patriarchal ideas. So this may be, and it can be quite simplistic, um, treating uh, the victim as a servant. Um, it can also be where um, the perpetrator gets to make all the big decisions, um, acting like, you know, the boss of the place, being the one to define who does what. Where that's done uh, with no uh, reference to the other person's needs or wants or preferences, that can be a significant thing. We've also got the other thing where somebody will be denied the opportunity. So for full participation in the household, it's like, no, you go sit over there, do nothing because I'm going to be the one looking wonderful. So again, it's using that here. Again, we've identified it as male privilege. Again, it may not be that. Generally, the statistics tell us, though, that it is. Using economic abuse. So this can be preventing um, the victim from getting or keeping a job, making them ask for money, even giving someone an allowance. That can be an issue rather than considering things if you're in a family situation to be joint money. It can be taking someone's money um, and not letting them know about or have access to family income, denying that opportunity for full cooperation and participation. And the last one, using coercion and threats. So this is making and carrying out threats to do something to hurt the victim or children or pets, threatening to leave, to commit suicide, uh, or to report the victim to mental health authorities or child protection authorities. It can also, sometimes these things do get quite um, dramatic, so oftentimes police are involved. Using coercion and threats also covers making someone drop charges. And it can also, unfortunately, involve making the victim do illegal things. So that there is, as according to the Duluth model, a fairly complete description of the things that people can do if they're perpetrating domestic violence. Using intimidation, using emotional abuse, using isolation, minimising, denying and blaming, using children, using male privilege, using economic abuse and using coercion and threats. And all of these are aspects of power and control. So what can we do? Given that I'm not currently training you guys to be youth workers, but there are some things that you can do. There is an advocacy wheel that has actually been developed as a result of the Duluth model. And I think it's a really lovely one to just keep in your head if you've got a, a friend or a family member that you think needs a little bit of support. We want to respect confidentiality. So if you're having private conversations with people, keep it, keep it safe. Keep it private. 
unless you think that they're going to hurt themselves or hurt someone else or there's a child at risk, you can keep that confidential. Really believe what people are saying and validate their experiences. Um, It's not very often that people just make this stuff up out of thin air. Acknowledge the injustice. No one deserves to be abused. The violence perpetrated against the victim is not their fault. Also respect their autonomy. This is a difficult, difficult time. If somebody's been in a relationship like this, especially if it's gone on for a while, this is a difficult time to make decisions. And it may take a little while for people to actually make decisions when they're ready. Respect the timing because people are more unsafe at the moment they are deciding to leave than any other time. So really do need to respect their timing. Make sure they're safe. Help people with their safety plan. If they've tried before and been unable to leave, help them talk through what their options are and especially reach out for some support. And there are some wonderful, wonderful services around that can help. In Australia, we have uh, the Respect phone number, a website. Um, This is where you want that specialist support. Promote access to other community services. There are resources and really empower the victim. Be patient, be generous, be loving and kind. This has been a pretty full-on episode, (laughs) but I always think that if it's difficult for us to discuss and listen and think and learn about these things, how much more difficult must it be for people who have experienced domestic violence, either as children growing up in families or uh, as adults? So let's be kind to each other. Be loving and generous to our friends and keep an eye out for those people that need a bit of a hand. Come join us over on Patreon. Don't forget, we're developing our soulful community over there. Uh, I've just started it. We need your support for the show. I know you love it because you tell me you love it. Uh, So join me on the next adventure, which is Patreon. See you next time.